Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Well, welcome, Kristen, to the show. I am so thrilled that you're here today. Thanks, Beth. I'm really happy to be here. (laughs) This is one of the blessings of social media is getting to connect with people on the internet. And we've never met in person, but I've followed you for a long time and just absolutely love the content that you put out there and your expertise that you share on Instagram and just your TPT store resources are wonderful. And so I knew that I had to have you here on the podcast to share a little bit more about Thank how you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I feel so, like I know you. So the fact I that I get to talk to you voice to voice is yeah. really a treat. I know. This is my favorite <laughs> part of having a podcast is really just getting to connect with people and, and have a reason to talk to you face to face, right? One day, hopefully we'll meet in person. So Kristen, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and your teaching experience? Sure. I am a K-6 ESOL teacher, and I uh, live and work in Northern Virginia. I've been teaching since 2005 and absolutely love my job. It's the best job in the world. So I've been at different schools, different demographics and things like that. The school that I'm currently at now is a large school of about 800 students, and almost half of those students receive ESOL services. So it's a it's a big, big caseload. And our team, thankfully, is growing this next year. So we're going to have a team of seven ESOL teachers at our school, which is great. What a blessing. Imagine it's a real blessing. Yeah, a real blessing. And, you know, I've been on the other side where I've been the singleton at a school and you're spread across every single grade level. And it's 
so challenging. So to have the benefit of a team and to collaborate and connect with them on a regular basis is is really helpful. Oh, I bet. Yeah, that I mean I think that's one of the biggest struggles of being an ESL teacher is really a lot of times we feel like we're on an island or we're teaching by ourselves. We have no one to collaborate with. So that's wonderful to have a team of teachers. How do you split up your caseload then? Do you do by grade level or language level? What does that look like? Yeah, so each one of us has a assigned grade level. So I've been sixth grade for the last many years. But K through two is so heavy. The, the numbers are so great that the teachers in the upper grades, like fourth, fifth, and sixth, will take on those groups of K1 and 2 to help out those teachers that are assigned to K1 and 2. So we always have one assigned grade level. So we attend those grade level CLTs. We're in charge of supporting that grade level of teachers. But then we help each other out. And if you're overloaded and can't get to all of your kids, and I have a chunk of time where I could add a group of first graders, then that's how it it works. Wow. I love that. I love hearing good things of of programs (laughs) that are working. (laughs) So, and how are the homeroom teachers? Are are they pretty familiar? I mean, with that many students on your caseload in the school, I'm sure they've become pretty familiar and open to working with ELL students as well. How is that interaction? It's good for the most part. We used to give professional development workshops at the beginning of the year, but that hasn't happened in a few years. And we have a lot of new teachers coming on staff. So we're really focused at the beginning of this year to give some manageable bite-sized pieces of PD to get them started off the at the beginning of the year. And then our goal as an ESOL team this year will be to support those teachers during their CLT lessons and continue to provide them with language support tips and strategies throughout the year. I love that. And so are you mostly push in then or you do some pull out as well? No, I have been, well, I've been almost 100% pull out for the last several years. However, I do push into math. So that is the one content area that I push in and support in math, but the rest is all pull out English language development, pull out groups. It's just so fascinating to hear how every school has it set up, you know, across the country. It's very different wherever you're at. So I love that. All right. Well, let's dive in. You are just fantastic at supporting your ESL students and really building relationships and making that a priority. So since we are in the back to school season, I would love for you to share a little bit more about what do you do those first couple weeks of school to really help connect with your students? Well, knowing that building those relationships is going to be the key to our success throughout the year. It is so critical for us to start from the very beginning and getting to know our students as much as we can. And so when I start introducing myself, I make sure I share information about myself. I show them slides about my family and my pets and my hobbies so that they get a little information about me as a person. And then I like to gather information about them, what they're willing to share anyway in the beginning. They're a little bit shy sometimes. We like to incorporate lots of fun activities at the beginning of the year just to kind of break down those walls a little bit. So uh, just adding things like would you rather games or some kind of get to know you games. I have one that's called My Country. That's really important to establish at the beginning of the year that 
everyone's culture is celebrated and valued. So we do an activity where they share their flag, foods from their country. So they're getting pictures usually off the internet and plugging those into like a Google slide, sports from their country, things that they love about their country, and then they get to share about that. So we build that foundation of cultural awareness and acceptance first. And then we do other, the first month is really getting to know my kids. I take a true month, not only personally, their educational background, digging into their files to see if if they're new student to me, what is their educational background? So I get to know that aspect of them. And then when they're sitting in front of me, being warm and friendly and smiling and asking them questions and allowing them to ask me questions is important. I like to do activities like just something very simple at the beginning of the class, like, okay, finish this, finish this sentence. My favorite snack is, and then everyone shares their favorite snack. Then I turn it into a listening activity. Okay. Who can tell me what Jose's favorite snack is? and see if they were listening. So then they get to know each other. Things like, if I were an animal, I'd be, you know, so we got to get to kind of know their personalities a little bit. And it's just building that community within our classroom at the beginning of the year. So I get to know them that way. And then I also, I make it a point to meet with each one individually because I want to get to know them as an English learner. I want to listen to them read. And I want to listen to them talk in a one-on-one setting and take some notes of what I'm noticing, things like that, so that I know kind of where my starting point is with them. I absolutely love that advice. (laughs) Yes. Oh, the first month, I'm not really planning lessons. I know sometimes teachers stress, stress out, stress out. What am I supposed to teach at the beginning? I, I don't really teach. I get to know my kids. That's what I I do in the beginning. Yes. And that is, that is so true. And, you know, I think we need to say that again and again for people to really, I think we, we know that in our heart, that relationships have to be the priority in building trust. But sometimes when you have the pressure of administrators or homeroom teachers or other people kind of saying, okay, we need to assess them. We need to get going. They're behind. You know, if there's that deficit approach that sometimes schools unfortunately have when they see our English language learners, um, you feel that pressure to get going and and really exactly what you said, you know, without that, that's the key to the rest of the year. When you take that time to build relationships and you build trust and they know you are a safe place to take risks, they're going to learn so much more that year than if you rush that and you don't build that. And I love how you were saying that you start with yourself. You show them who you are. You build connections, you know, if showing them your dog, that's going to excite some of them who have dogs and want to share with you about their dog. But I think sometimes as teachers, we forget, we have to show our vulnerability with them as well so that we, they can feel vulnerable with us and share more about themselves. So I love that. hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. It's really setting the stage for the rest of the year. Yeah, it absolutely Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your yellow students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need 
proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators. Join us today at www.equippingells.com. Now back to the episode. So, and do you meet with parents or how do you handle that connection at the beginning of the school year with parents? So we send an introductory letter. So just kind of at the beginning of the school year where they get a lot of information. We have parent teacher conferences at the very beginning of the year. So I attend all of those that I can introduce myself, share with them a little bit. A lot of them don't really understand the ESOL program and what it's all about in our school district. So I I share that with them. We use apps to communicate with parents. Talking points? Yeah, talking points. Yep, that's a great one. Yes. (laughs) So we use that. So we do communicate throughout the year, but primarily it's at the beginning of the year, introducing myself, giving them information about, you know, the county and the program and the school and giving them my contact information. And throughout the year, I will contact through talking points just to let them know how their students are doing and give them some praise and answer any questions they have. So that's how I communicate with parents. Thank goodness for apps like that, that can help (laughs) you, you know, and really understanding here in Panama, everything is run through WhatsApp. I mean, Parents aren't on email. Parents aren't checking folders that go home. It really is all on text. And so you see the power in knowing, you know, how to best communicate with the families of your English language learners. And that's a a praise that there's an an app that can translate it into their native language. So, (laughs) all right. So we're going to dive in. If you have followed Kristen on Instagram at all, and we'll share her, her link at the, in the show notes. So you can, if you aren't already following her, but something that she does a fantastic job is just showcasing how she sets up her lesson, how she thinks through her lessons, what she includes in different lessons. And so today where I wanted to have her on to share more about her lesson planning process and specifically discussing language form and function. So let's get started with, why don't you just share a little bit more about language form and function, define that for us, for who some listeners might not know exactly what you mean by that and your lesson planning process. Uh, So language function is the purpose why we use language. It's our goal when we're expressing ourselves. For example, I might want to persuade you to do something, or I might want to describe an experiment or an experience. I might want to give my opinion about something. So language function is really the reason why we use language. And language form is the structure that we use to put that language together. So really, they go hand in hand. They are married. And so you're you're teaching language forms along with language functions. And, and what I love about language functions, because students use them across every grade level, from K through 12, and across all content areas, students are being asked to sequence and analyze and summarize and classify. So those really are uh, the pathways to proficiency. And so if we want to build academic language with our students, which really is our role, then we, we really want to take advantage of teaching language functions in our classroom. And when we think about language functions or when I start 
planning a language function unit, I have a brainstorming session at the beginning. So I really think about, for example, if I if I'm going to be doing a compare and contrast language function unit, I want to be thinking about my students. Obviously, I want I I need to know my students first of all and where they are in their language proficiency. But once I know my students and I'm and I'm mapping out a unit, I think to myself, what content area topics? are they learning about in this grade level? And when you have multiple grade levels, it's kind of, a, kind of a long list, but you have to go through and figure out what are my students learning in science and social studies this year? How, or when, how and when will they need to apply this language function? And if you can time it to when they're learning it in the classroom, that is even better. But I don't necessarily always take that into consideration because like many, we're supporting uh, multiple grade levels. I start off by picking content areas that will support this language function. And then I think of, uh, I think about what I want them to be able to do with it in the end. So if I want them to be able to describe or compare and contrast, I don't know, animals or ancient civilizations or explorers, then I need to be thinking about what kind of language are they going to need in order to be able to do that. And so I think about what supports will they need? Will they need some sentence frames or sentence stems? Will they need, they'll need some vocabulary. Obviously, we always talk about the keywords. So I jot down what are the key words in that language function that I need to front load for them. And then I think, how am I going to tap into their prior knowledge? When might they have used this function previously? And, and can I build their background knowledge or tap into their prior knowledge with an activity that they're familiar with? So just for an example, when we were doing cause and effect, one of my students actually had a broken arm. So I use that as an example what happened? How did you break your arm? Okay, so something caused you to break your arm. So I use that kind of as a jumping off point. How am I going to connect their prior knowledge to this language function? So then after I do that, I just kind of map out, okay, what visual supports do they need? I'm going to sketch out an anchor chart that I can create for this unit that, are, that will support my students. Maybe it will have vocabulary, it'll have visuals, it might have some sentence frames, examples, things like that on it. So I'm building my support first. Then I start diving into, okay, listening, speaking, reading, and writing. What are some fun and engaging activities that I can do with my students that will support this language function? And I just start throwing things on a paper. It's just kind of a, a mess, but it is like, it's a mess for me, but it kind of all comes together in the end. So I'm throwing down, I love to use videos for listening, especially brain pop videos and YouTube videos and Epic Books actually, which is a free resource. It's fantastic. Has some really wonderful short videos that they can listen to. And then I jot down ideas for reading and I check out, again, epic books and I check out reading A to Z and I check out other subscriptions that my school has purchased. And I have a stack of scholastic news magazines that I've saved because they have really great. Yeah, <laughs> those are timeless. <laughs> they are. They really are. Readworks.org has yep. some great leveled text 
which also has audio components. So those can be listening activities too. So I'm just throwing down on my paper a bunch of resources that I could look for activities that are going to hit all language domains. So once I've gathered all of that kind of information, then I can hone in on each individual group. How am I going to introduce this language function? What are the listening activities going to be for this group? What are the reading based on their reading levels and things like that? And then I will all, all, always find that whatever I plan for one group, I can often use with multiple groups. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah is right. So, okay, I'm going to use this listening activity for this group and this group. And I start mapping it out that way. And this planning process, I know it might sound like it takes a long time, but it actually really doesn't take a long time. At least I am collector of resources. So at this stage in the game, I kind of know where to look for my favorites. And I can just look for things that will suit my students and plug those in. So I map out all of that. And then I uh, do my individual groups to meet their specific needs. And I adjust the scaffolds. You know, when I'm planning, I write down what sentence stems or frames will they need in order to do that final piece, whether it's recording a Flipgrid video where they're comparing and contrasting, or maybe they're sequencing something, or maybe they're going to be doing a writing activity for me. What do they need to learn in order to be successful at the end of this unit? So I include those along the way. But then interestingly enough, you got to think about what forms you need in order to support that function. So for compare and contrast, for example, I needed to teach my students comparative and superlative adjectives. And this is where all of the grammar comes in. And if you're not sure, well, what am I supposed to teach my kids? Well, start with a language function and that will tell you what you need to teach your kids. Absolutely. And Kristen, let me interrupt real fast with that. Is there a place that you, I mean, does WIDA have like a list of language functions or have you found something that has been a helpful resource to you? Or do you have something to share that could kind of just lay out for those who are new to language functions? Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a great county who we kind of simultaneously started doing language functions at the same time, which I thought was how wonderful is this? So then they started supplying lots of resources with just examples of a language function and the scaffolds that one might need for that and keywords for that. Any Google search will bring up language forms and functions and will give you a list of uh, language functions and the forms that go with that. And I really, for me, I just dove in at the beginning. I said, okay, I'm going to teach the language function of sequencing and see where this takes me. And I kind of learned as I went along. All right, as I'm learning this, I realized that my students need to know some adverbs so that they can talk about beforehand or uh, afterwards. And so they, I kind of learned as I went along, but Google is, is a fantastic resource. <laughs> YouTube is another fantastic resource. There's some great videos on there about language forms and functions. I have a blog post that I just wrote about language functions, and I'm working on my next post about incorporating language forms and functions. So that would be a resource to read up on. Yeah, we'll share that in the show notes for sure. <laughs> 
We'd love that. So you were saying that forms then are more your grammar part that you're, do you weave those in then throughout the unit? Yes. Those get woven in throughout the unit. And sometimes I don't realize what they are until I'm in the unit. And so, for example, we were doing cause and effect and I always do it on the topic of seasonal changes in weather and how that affects plants and animals. And I realized that my students needed negative contractions. And so I added that into the lesson plan to do a negative contraction. A lot of my students, my older students, especially who came here after we teach contractions in second or third grade, my fifth and sixth graders aren't familiar with contractions. So it was it's necessary to teach them that anyway, but especially during this unit where they need to talk about how animals can't or don't or won't do things because of the animals. I threw that little mini lesson in and it doesn't have to be a long extended it's usually a mini lesson and some practice. Wow. This, I think this episode is going to be a top hit because I am coming away encouraged and inspired. I mean, you really kind of simplified this process that can feel very overwhelming because I know a lot of teachers, you know, are starting with WIDA standards or, um, you know, wherever they're at in the, across the country, they have different standards. And sometimes you feel, you come away and feel like, that didn't help me at all. I still have no idea what my students are supposed to be doing right now. And so I love just the clarity of really targeting and focusing on a function and then weaving in the form so that, you know, like you just said, how do you know that your sixth graders haven't really understood contractions yet? You don't, unless you're really observing and have a list of, okay, here, have I hit on this yet? But then when you start in conversation, you see, oh, they're going to really need this piece. And they don't, ha- they don't have that yet. So let me do a quick mini lesson. That's really what it takes, you know, to be an ESL teacher is having that kind of dance of like, here's our structure. We have a framework, we have something set, but having that guidance from the students to really let them show where they need more support and where some of those gaps are that, you know, it's, it's really hard to identify that sometimes. So I think I love that of just creating a a unit that has that wiggle room of really letting the students still guide where they're going, but they're getting so much language throughout the whole unit. I love that. Um, 100%. It guides your instruction. And even if you're not quite sure where the guide is going to take you, if if you're observing your students and really listening to them, they will tell you where they need to be taken. Exactly. And I think we really... Sometimes haven't gotten that training. I think in my experience, when I was in Chicago and teaching in public schools, there wasn't that room for letting the kids guide. (laughs) And when I came here to Panama, I taught at an IB school, which is all inquiry based and saw the power behind giving the students more of these open-ended, like you're saying, having, you know, just having that function of, okay, here, we're going to do cause and effect on this unit topic and letting them kind of go with where they're interested. Because again, we need that engagement piece. We need them to be engaged for them to produce. And that happens when they they feel like they have some choice, they have some say in it. And I love how you're pulling in so many different resources to really get that excitement from them, to find different ways to hit on the listening comprehension, to hit on the reading. It sounds, you make it sound really easy. And I know it's not, <laughs> but I think what you're saying is over time, you know, if you really get, get into this, you can start to see the power behind having those those functions and forms set up. And then you'll learn as you go of, of where to pull in more things, where to find those resources that fit with that unit. How long do these units usually run for? 
Well, when I started doing them, they lasted about a week to two weeks, but now they last probably close to three to four weeks because it's just so fun. You know, there's so many different activities that we can incorporate. I only see my kids for 30 minutes a day. And with travel time, cut that down to 25 minutes a day. And so they last about three. You can make it as short or as long as you really want to. My students really enjoy them and I, I equally enjoy them. So we don't rush through them because like, you know, like we talked about, there's so many things that we could sprinkle in on top, meaningful things that they need, that grammar and vocabulary, you know, can't forget about the vocabulary work that's tied to all of this. So there's, they just, they keep blooming and blooming and blooming into this, to this grand unit. And then when we start a new unit, the kids are, you know, just as excited. What are we going to be learning about now? We always tie it to science or social studies so that they're getting that content vocabulary, but they can last as shorter or as long, but mine usually lasts about three weeks, give or take. Well, and the power behind that, you know, I, I try to encourage other teachers to not feel that rush that they have to go full speed ahead because there's so much power for our multilingual students to go over the same topic multiple times to go deeper on a topic because you're spending all this time front loading vocabulary, building background. And so once they have that piece and now you can add on the reading, then they're building comprehension. Now you can add on the writing, which is, you know, a, a tough domain to develop, but if they've had all of this work, beforehand, they're going to be able to produce better writing. And so I love that of just, you know, really kind of having this overarching topic that you keep coming back to, and then they can start to build connections. You know, their schema is just going to get so strong compared to every week. Here's new things. Here's a new topic here. We keep, we're just going to keep going and only focus on standalone language. You know, they're really not going to build those, those neuron connections that they need to go deeper on language. Right. And we want them to use that language and practice that language. So we don't want to dive in and jump right out. We want to get in there and swim in it for a while, you know, so they can have a time to practice it so that when they go back to their gen ed classroom, they feel confident enough to participate and to use that language successfully when they're talking about the causes of the Civil War, for example. You know what I mean? They have that cause and effect language and they feel confident in using it. At least, maybe not confident, but more comfortable using it. Yeah. And they're able to transfer it more to another topic that they're hearing in their homeroom classroom or the following year. That's going to stick a lot stronger with them. Do you work with the other people on your team to plan these units or is everyone kind of doing their own thing or do you, how does that work? Uh, that's a good, that's a really good question. You know, I think I'm the only one on my team currently who is doing I could be wrong. To be honest, I don't know exactly what my other team members, how they're teaching or what they're teaching. I don't think others are doing language functions, but I could be wrong. Everyone kind of has their own style of, of teaching and what works for them and their students. And I found this is what works for me and my students. So it's definitely something I will be sharing. We have a brand new team coming in this year. These seven, seven team members and five of them, oh, Four of them are new. Oh, wow. So, we'll, I will definitely <laughs> so be we knew some mentoring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be sharing my process. And if, if they, you know, want to learn more about it, I'll definitely, you know, share more about that. So, yeah. 
Well, if you are interested in learning more, you know, make sure to follow Kristen on Instagram. She shares a lot about her process with different units that she's doing in the classroom. Um, you can also check out her TPT store. We'll link that in the show notes as well. And before we go, Kristen, why don't you just share, you know, like you said, you have four new teachers coming on. I hear from a lot of teachers who are switching. They've been homeroom teachers for a long time, and now they're going to be an ESL teacher and they're super excited. But what's one tip you would give them as they start back to school this year? Uh, one tip. <laughs> I know. <laughs> one tip. <laughs> My one tip would be to take the time to get to know your students and what they can do. And without that starting point, you really don't know where they need to be taken to. So take your time and really get to know who your kids are academically and personally. But that academic piece will kind of shine a light on on where you will be taking them the first quarter of the, of the school year. I, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> so <laughs> fight the urge to, to jump right in with <laughs> academics. I know it's there. It's, it's so prevalent in the schools, but, but do take that time to build relationships. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. This was just filled with so many gold nuggets. I really love the process you walked us through and I know that my listeners will love it as well. So All right. We'll post all of those links that we shared today in the show notes and make sure to check out Kristen on Instagram to get inspired by more language forms and functions. All right. Thanks, Kristen. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done for you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.